And there was a plug at the end of the music of where I get my music from because it's free. And I normally quiet it down before we do that. But, ah, well, <clears throat> starting off a lot better, I think, this time than the first time. That was a complete disaster. I even quit in the middle of live stream, and that's okay. Anyway, welcome to the Silver Heathen Podcast. I am the Silver Heathen. I really love doing this stuff. It just doesn't hasn't seemed lately that I've been able to either have time or... Um, maybe it's not a lack of time. It's feeling like shit. Um, been fighting my own battles, which I try to <clears throat> keep that out in the open as much as I can. I'm trying to get another light over here to see if that'll work, but or see if that'll help. But um, and <clears throat> I hit that one year of sobriety and was on top of the work and or as so I thought, um, then you get a job and then you get back into the real world. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, the real world things of recovery. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about why that sometimes we can get fooled when it comes to, we can get fooled of what reality is like when we're in treatment. And I think that's one thing that inpatient treatment struggles with. Um, I think that we can get fooled a little bit by, um, putting ourselves in certain situations that just aren't realistic. But if you can make those situations work and stick in those situations, that can be very helpful for you. So anyway, to get back to, you know, uh, I am now seeing a psychiatrist. I just started some new meds recently and I'm hoping for the best because, uh, man, if this is how sobriety feels, it's like, wow, how do you people do it? <laughs> but um, just like I told everybody and I told the doctors, I told the psychiatrists, you know, everything on the outside is pretty damn good. There's just something empty on the inside. And when I think about drinking today, it's I'm thinking of feeling something, even if it's something bad. And that's when those are the thoughts that I have when the drinking thoughts come into my mind. So. Um, so I've been reading a couple different books. Halfway through uh, the second one. Um, and it's been kind of a dive into the history of AA and immediately some people might be rolling their eyes because I'm talking about AA again, but AA is such a huge part of the recovery sphere and it played such a huge part in my recovery. Um, that I think it is very important to talk about for two reasons. One, it's healthy for me to talk about it. And two, I think if I would have heard some of the things that I'm going to say, I think it might have helped me earlier on, and I might not have had some of the problems that I had. But I can't go back and I can't uh, reproduce different results, right? These are just feelings that I have, and that's why I want to talk about them. And with the feedback that I get on the podcast, even the ones that I've done and I, I've let them sit and just marinate out there in the world, I still get DMs. I just got one the other day, and I, I hope this person and be on the podcast soon. I hope doing this one here gives me the energy to to get back into it and, and do it more on a consistent basis because this is what I love to do. This is my my hobby. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm playing some video games and I, I pop up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a podcast. And what brought this feeling on or what brought this thought on is the culmination of things that I've been thinking about and going through and reading about um, so when you go into treatment, and I think this one's pretty obvious, 
when you go into treatment and you're there for 30, 60, 90 days and you're on a schedule, I'll use myself as I try to do every time as an example. Um, a lot of people that listen to this were in Harbor Hall with me or been to Harbor Hall. You know, you're on a tight schedule. You're down in the dining room for breakfast five minutes before breakfast is ready every single day. You're down there for lunch five minutes before uh, lunch is ready, et cetera, et cetera. And you're on a, this tight schedule. You're fed. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about uh, paying your bills. You know, even though that is a big thing that you worry about while you're in there, you have to have somebody that you trust doing that on the outside, obviously. But what it's created this safe environment so you can focus on yourself and what's going on in here and up here. And man, this is really blurry. I don't know what I can do about that. Let's see. So try to do that and see if that helps. But so a lot, it gives you a safe environment to learn, uh, to, to really focus on what's on the inside and, and what's going on. And that's exactly what you need to do. But eventually it's unrealistic toward, the, you know, when you get to the meat and potatoes at the end of it, because you're not getting any experience with your friends, with your family, with your job, with the outside world, <clears throat> with that guy cutting you off. So you get to look in, but then all of a sudden you're getting look, you're doing all this looking in and you're getting used to looking in and you're, and you're getting looked at examining your thoughts. And then all of a sudden, okay, you graduated your app back out. Now, bam, the real world hits you in the face. And I'm not saying, you know, that this is a bad thing. It's just something that we need to consider when we're looking at how people are doing or how we want to perceive that they are doing in recovery. So I'm going to just go ahead and turn that light back on. So if there are any comments, I'll have to catch them later. Um, so it's the same thing. So what I've been finding is I, I butt heads a lot on X with people that are in that are in AA, I mean, in it, in it, the the gatekeepers, the old timers, the people that are three plus meetings a week, um, because I like to pick people up when they're down. I like to tell people that it's going to be okay. And mostly I do that not to make the world unrealistic and not to, you know, tough love them because it's not my job. I, I do that to support them because I don't know them and I don't know what they're going through. So it's really hard for me to set and make a judgment call. So I guess the whole point of this podcast, I think I might've lost the great point that I had when I logged in, but, uh, you know, you look at the people that say AA has worked for me. It's the only way. And if you would just work it the way that I do it, it would work for you too. And if you don't want to do that, then you don't want to recover. I've heard that, I've felt that, and I think as dangerous as I've been told that I am, I kind of speak freely and open-minded about recovery. I think that's way more dangerous because the pressure that was put on me every single day, like when I was going through it, when I was in treatment and then moving into uh, sober living, I got to the point where like, if I didn't want to call my sponsor, I felt like a bad person. I felt like if I didn't want to go to a meeting, I was a bad person. It had nothing to do with me worrying about my sobriety. I don't go into meetings now, and my my recovery is pretty good. You know, nobody's perfect, obviously. Um, but when I look back, 
you know, over, uh, let's see, April of 2022 and the handful of times that I drank, that is some serious recovery compared to the guy that I was. And I'll argue that all day long. There will be people in A that will say that's not recovery because if you were recovered, you wouldn't have gone back. Well, that's really stupid because, um, you know, drugs and alcohol are everywhere. I mean, you look at Grand Theft Auto and and just that video game alone, um, the stuff that you can do in that video game. And then you look at movies and TV shows and the drugs and alcohol that are there. And then you take alcohol to another level where it's every other commercial and then it's on every billboard and then it's sold on every corner. Um, those temptations are pretty serious. And it's readily available for anybody, anytime, especially for the alcoholic. It's a little bit harder for the addict, but that I'm not, I am not degrading their struggle at all. I'm just saying that alcohol is everywhere and nobody's going to look down at me when I walk out of the store with the fifth. Um, it's, it's looked at completely different, right? So these people, if you can go and if you can go to AA meeting every single day, that's a benefit. Okay, that's a circumstance that other people can't do necessarily, right? So maybe if maybe if more people had the ability to go to AA five, six, seven times a day, maybe that would be enough to to keep them plugged into something to to keep them sober. But that's just not realistic. So to expect people to be able to do a program like that the way that you do it is not very realistic. And then they shouldn't be shunned when they're not able to do that. Because sometimes it's not from a lack of want, because I know that since I decided to go to treatment um, on my own, not the first one, the first one was, I was kind of, everybody was crying and begging me to, but when I decided to go, you know, with a little encouragement from um, an AA member and my sponsor at the time, that was my choice. I'd never met either one of those people in in real life, there was no way they were going to knock on the door and make me go to treatment. They weren't going to drive me to treatment. So I had to make that decision to make the phone call to get myself to treatment. Since I made that, I never wanted to drink again. Like never wanted to be, I never wanted to get back to where I was before. Yes, I wanted to drink, I guess, but I've never wanted to go back to that hell. Have I wanted to test it and and remember the good times? And that's one thing that we've talked about too on some of the, uh, I've joined uh, my friend Lindsay and then Adam has been doing one um, a podcast with us. You know, we've talked about that too. Um, and I just lost my thought, of course. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, necessarily one, it's a matter of not remembering all the bad because you weren't present. Like for all the bad shit that I did, you know, that my ex-wife remembers, even my poor kids remember, um, that Miley remembers, um, uh, that uh, my ex-wife's parents remember, you know, a lot of those things that they remember, I just had flashes of that. And sh sure, those flashes are super embarrassing. But what I remember is being at the casino with all of them and having a great time, you know, uh, what I remember is having Moscow mules with Miley and her parents at a campground and having a great time doing that. Those are the things that my mind remember. And I think that's where you get into AA. They're talking about, you know, the, the stinking thinking or they're thinking of like, that's your mind. We're gonna, no, that's my mind being my, my fucking mind. 
my mind is actually remembering those things because it can't remember the bad because it wasn't present for the bad. We we can create this monster out of alcohol. There's something that you're going to hear in AA quite a bit if you're if you're just thinking about going to AA or you've tried it a little bit. If you, if you go around there enough, you're going to hear that you know alcohol's waiting out in the parking lot for me. It's doing push-ups. You know that I get what people are trying to say when they say that, but we're if they talk about powerless, powerless, right? Powerlessness, powerlessness over alcohol. That that is giving an inanimate object so much power. To say that it's out there doing push-ups, it's waiting for you. It's not. You're, it's not. It is not a real thing. And to try to create this this fake monster, you're just again, you're not living in reality. I guess I'm I'm bouncing around on what I'm trying to say here. You know what I mean? Like I, the whole premise of this is when something works for you, that it's going to work for you and it's going to work for you in your reality and what's going on with you. There is no two people that suffer the same way in alcoholism. And there are no two people that recover the same way. If you and your best friend have went through AA for the last 30 years and you've stayed sober through AA, the reason for that is probably because you had a best friend that was going through AA with you and you had that connection and that's what got you through. It wasn't AA itself. Okay. You might go to AA once a week and claim that AA is your savior, but then you can't step back and you can't look at and say, well, I've been going to AA once a week since I decided to quit and it's killing it for me. But you can't stop and, and look back around and say, okay, well, in this time also, I got a brand new job. I found this great significant other. You know, um, I got on these great meds. I have a great doctor. And all these things are factoring in. It's not just the meeting, but we want to give credit to that because that's what we've, when you go into a meeting, that's all you hear is credit to the program. When somebody is, succeeds in AA, it's the program. When somebody fails in AA, it's never the program, it's the person. And when you start doing the research and you start, excuse me, when you start look, doing the research and looking into AA, <laughs> the best we can come up with right now, and people are, I've already opened my mouth, so might as well keep going. People are going to go nuts. But the best thing to come up with is the success rate for AA is about 5 to 10%. And that's the best studies that they can do. There's been studies that now people are immediately going to talk to like the, talk to me about the like the the Moose um, uh, uh, experiment or uh, testing or whatever. Um, but those things failed to take into account some of the things that I was just talking about, right? So I go to treatment for ninety days. I go in there. I talk about something. Oh my god! It was because I was um, I was beaten as a child. Or in my case, I, I don't remember it, uh, but there's all significant or all signs pointing to that I was blessed as a child. I don't remember it. But when I get in there and I'm able to talk about that and I get that out, all the while I'm going to AA every single night in the house, I'm talking to a therapist or a counselor. Uh, I'm talking to a nurse. I'm talking to a psychiatrist while I'm in there and I'm getting all these things out and I'm working through all these things. And all of a sudden I'm starting to find myself. Yet I'm forced to go to AA every single night 
And I remember saying many times, I remember saying, man, I think everybody in the world should go to AA. Everybody should do it. It's saving my life. But I was completely ignoring the rest. And again, this isn't me hating on AA. What we have to do is we have to look at the whole picture here. So, and because that goes both ways. If you go to AA every single day and it's not working for you, it's not working for you, it's not working for you. If you're like me, trying to, to trying to figure out somebody that doesn't believe in a God going in and having, you know, five out of the, the uh, 12 steps talk about God, even though Bill has the chapter two agnostics trying to escape it and push it away from the outside of, of it being a religious uh, program. God is a huge part of it. And I was like, how am I going to do this without finding God? And I thought I was the problem. Because all these people came in and they were telling their story. But then now the farther they get back from it, and I, I'm able to step back and, and you think about all these speaker meetings. There was a speaker meeting that came that, um, you know, these speaker meetings, these are, these are people that come in that have been in the program. They give a lot of credit to the program. And that's, that's great. But they don't talk about all the people that are cycling in and out. In and out, in and out. You might have the same five, six people sitting in that room, but what about the rest of the people that are cycling in and out and in and out? And if you cycle through 20 different people a month, right, 20 different people come in your door and they never return, okay? Is that your fault? No, but I'm just saying those those things aren't necessarily sticky. Maybe they go to another meeting. Maybe they're out of town. To try to bring another point home here is, if you're struggling in addiction, if you're struggling uh, with AA, um, don't beat yourself up about it. The majority of the people, and I'll say it again, the majority of the people recover from alcoholism. If you look up any study, if you look up anybody with any cred and, and, and listen to the facts, most people just quit on their own. Well, then they weren't a real alcoholic. Boy, isn't that convenient to be able to throw that out there? So if the program is successful, then it gets all the credit. If the program doesn't work for you, then you, you're the problem. If you work the program to the best of your ability and it still doesn't work for you, you weren't ready. You didn't do it right. You didn't do the steps enough. And then every time that somebody wants to bring that up to somebody and wants to say that to somebody, then it's like, Okay, so how many times do I got to do the steps? How many meetings a week do I have to go to? What's the exact number? What's the science behind this? Well, there is no science. So environmental factors are such a huge part in recovery. Um, you have to know what's not good for you, right? So for me, I drank alone a lot. That's what I wanted to do. When it first started getting bad, where I was drinking a fifth of night, I'd put my kids to bed, I'd put my ex-wife to bed, tuck everybody in, shut the lights off, go out, sit on the couch all by myself, and I'd drink my fifth, pass out, go to sleep, whatever you want to call it, wake up, rinse and repeat every single day. Once the marriage, marriage was over, went to my grandma's, I was on probation for a little bit, things were doing pretty good, got off probation, wake up, or come to, go to work. I'm home, sit by myself, and drink. I didn't even, I would go to the bar from time to time, but most of the time I didn't want to. I just wanted to sit by myself and drink. So 
<laughs> these days, me finding myself without a driver's license, without, uh, you know, now it's cold outside, so it's can't just go walk anywhere. Not that I'm going to sit here and try to pretend like I'm somebody that walks all the time. Uh, you know, things start to weigh up. I go to work, or I wake up, I shower, I go to work, come back, I eat dinner, try to spend some time with Miley, try to play some games uh, when my buddies are available, and then I go to sleep. So I have to make sure I'm doing things like this podcast to make myself feel like I'm not just sitting in one place. And so that's what I have to recognize. And so when I talk about how I haven't went to AA meetings in a very, very long time, well, then how am I doing this? Well, I just talked to a psychiatrist. I work in the field of recovery, right? Um, I do this podcast. I am elbows deep in X every single day talking recovery. Um, so I'm doing all these things that are keeping me in recovery without one particular thing, without just that meeting that I have to go to every single day. And again, it's going to be taken as me hating on AA when I say this. I, I'm I'm speaking to the people that, to be quite frankly, that don't like AA. They need to know that you can do it without that. Even though the courts are going to tell you that that's what you need to do, even though that's what's when you go into the hospital and you come to from uh, ODing or passing out somewhere and you wake up in the hospital and the person's going to come in and like, have you, have you thought about going to AA? Have you thought about going to treatment? And I'll tell you what, it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to find a treatment that is not centered around the 12 steps because the funding to get treatment you have to show how you're going to get these people better. And it is the belief that the 12 step program is the way to do it. Now, if that was the case, man, there wouldn't be a revolving door of people in and out. If this was a, it was a catch all. And if you can't be honest enough to say, you know, that the overturn in these rooms is far greater than the return on investment then you're just not being honest, right? So I can say with some, some, you know, I just did a, uh, a little question on X the other day. I said, hey, you know, do you count your days? And I got a wide range of answers from it's the most important thing that I do every single day to, no, nah, I, don't, don't, I don't do it anymore, to I never did it because I don't see the point. Because what happens, what can happen and it does happen more often than some would want to admit, you start to get into years and years of sobriety, then all of a sudden, especially when you walk into the rooms, all of a sudden, your head's a little higher when it's time for AA group. Your shoulders are a little broader. And you start to think that you're going to start uh, giving some answers when you should just be sharing, right? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you some advice. Now I'm gonna share with you something I know. And it doesn't happen to anybody. I mean you look at Henry, 
who is, and I wish I could remember his uh, handle right off the top of my head. I should, but Henry on X is the best example of years of recovery and how somebody can really represent those years. Uh, the AA program um, as a as a whole, man, as 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 a, how it how I feel like it should be. But how I feel it should be is irrelevant. But my point is, he does such a great job that he makes me want to go to AA even when I'm done with it. So, so let's when people start talking about things, let's let's try to remember the environment and what helped them get this way, right? So, if you have somebody that, and this is not hating on rich people. Okay, and this isn't even rich. If you have somebody that's making a comfortable living, you know, six figures a year, um, there's a lot of stressors that aren't going to be there. That somebody like me making, uh, you know, fifteen dollars an hour, um, there's going to be stressors that aren't there for them that are going to be there for me. So the environments are completely different. And so, if we're going to help somebody, whether it be an AA, whether it be in whatever group that you're going to be in, or me like a recovery coach, we have to look at, when we're going to help somebody, we, we need to look at the entire environment, right? So for me, my answer to solving things 99% of the time is to just be ridiculously honest about it to the point where people are sick and tired of hearing how I feel and what I'm doing. But that's what I have to do. Other people can't do that. And it would be ridiculous for me to expect them to do that. So. Keep an open mind when it comes to recovery. Keep an open mind for yourself, first and foremost. You know, every little win that you can can have is such a such a big deal. If you lay your head down tonight and you didn't drink or use, that's such a big, big win. Um, if you had 60 days, and whatever the reason is, you go out and have a few beers, you shouldn't feel so much guilt and shame from all these people who are going to judge you when you walk back into this room, that you avoid that room entirely. Especially if your reasoning, it doesn't matter what your reasoning is because you don't have to justify it to anybody. If you do something and you're like, fuck, I cannot believe I did this. Why did I do this? Well, all right, dust myself off. Back to the next day. If that's how you handle a slip or relapse or whatever you want to call it, in my book, you're still in recovery. And that's not a cop-out, and that's not an easy way out. This shit's fucking hard. And what a lot of people on the outside who might look at people, you know, there's a stigma about addiction, right? And alcoholics, you know, that bum under the bridge, you know, uh, I have seen a lot of people who may or may not have recognized me at my work that I always saw as very successful and they're coming in there and they got a peanut cup just like everybody else. 
And just because addiction isn't somebody's, you know, somebody's never struggled with addiction. Well, I can take it or leave it. Why can't he? That's from the big book, by the way. That doesn't mean that they're not doing something else. It doesn't mean they're not having hundreds of dollars of scratch-offs on their truck. So let's just try not to judge each other the best we can. If we have something that is working great for us, tell somebody about it. Suggest it. Share it. And uh, I think this is one of the greatest examples of the shotgun podcast I've ever seen in my entire life. All over the place, I had this great idea and I was going to focus on it. And because I think I'm rusty, I was all over the place. So uh, I don't know who it was. Somebody gave a couple of thumbs up. So I appreciate that. I don't see any comments to respond to uh, on the, oh, there is one that I missed. Uh... Yes. That's such a great example. Such a great example. Okay, so we get into these things. It's just... So, a fun fact is that if you force somebody to go to an AA meeting, they're not going to get anything out of it. Believe it or not. They're not going to get anything out of it. And sometimes when you go to a meeting and you want to be there, you might not get anything out of it, which... People argue, if you're there for the right reasons, you'll always get something out of it. Um, but like the comment just said, know somebody with three, uh, three DUIs, and after five years went to court to get the driver's license back, they were asked if they were going to AA meetings. And the sole reason, well, was it the sole reason? I don't know if you're still listening or not. Um, but one of the main reasons they did not give their license back was because they were not attending AA meetings. So it says after five years, so I don't know if, okay. And and they were sober for the entire five years, as far as you can tell? I mean, even if, even if not, if, if their reasoning is that you didn't go to AA, and that's part of it, you have to show attendance to AA meeting. So me, when I go back to get um, my driver's license, you know, I might be in trouble. Even though I work in the field, even though I talk about AA every single day, because I don't have a big, long uh, sheet of paper signed from going to AA meetings, these people are so stupid. <laughs> they are so dumb. These judges are dumb. Because, uh, oof, that was wrong of me to say. They are not dumb. They are ignorant to what works and what doesn't. They're being told that AA is this holy savior. And if it was, it wouldn't have a five to 10% freaking success rate. It is a great program. It is a great place to connect. It's a great place to learn about recovery. It's a great place to hear stories. But these people are just want to cycle through people, these people through these meetings. And, you know, I said something to one of the therapists the other day. I'm like, I don't know why they're just, they're, they're forcing people in to treatment and AA meetings that are taking seats and beds from people when they don't want to be there. And she said, well, don't you think if they're just there, they're going to get something out of it? And I had to stop and think for a second. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. And it's better to send somebody to treatment than it is to put them in a cage because they're certainly not going to learn anything there, especially if they're not a violent person. 
But that right there, just it's another just a great freaking story. And when I finish this book, I want to bring some highlights to this. It's, it's called the, uh, the Sober Truth. And I want to bring some of the details to this book, but to not give somebody a license after five years. And by the way, um, the comment just say that the person was sober for five years. Just didn't go to AA and they got shot down for their license. So. How how stupid is that? And you know you know what that's going to create because it's Alcoholics Anonymous. It's going to create a bunch of sheets with a bunch of signatures on it from a bunch of places that have meetings that you never went to. So it's just going to create a a, a giant waste of fucking time for everybody that has to go through it. We need to do better. We need to understand these things better. We need to know like if, if you have somebody that is struggling. And you want them to get better. Encourage them to go to AA. Sometimes they're going to leave and say that things sucked and they didn't give it a chance. Sometimes they're going to leave and say that things sucked because it actually sucked. You're going to hear some stories when you go into AA. And you're going to hear, yeah, when I first got in my sponsor, this is typically going to be an old timer. Telling their story. I first got here, they told me to sit down, shut up, pull the cotton out of my uh, ears and put it in my mouth. Then after a while, they let me make coffee, and that was such a privilege. I love going in there and making that coffee for those guys. Such a privilege. And it's like, that's great. Seriously, if that works for you, that is fantastic. But I don't feel like going in and making coffee for a bunch of people. I When I'm going into a peer group, I'm going in there to talk about my recovery. I want to know how you did it, and I want to share these things. And I think that a really good saying that you're going to hear is experience, strength, and hope. I want to hear your experience. I want to hear how you got through it, which is your strength. And I want to hear the hope in your voice. That's what I want to hear. I don't want you to tell me that you did the steps 12 fucking times. I don't give a shit. I don't, if you need to call your sponsor before you take a crap in the morning to ask him if you need to use two ply or three ply to wipe your ass, that's fine. You do that, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm being a little ridiculous now because I'm getting fired up from that comment. But, uh, okay, we've got another one here. So, so I went to three different drug and alcohol classes and it never stuck till I hit rock bottom. And I truly wanted to get better, not because of the courts. Sure. So, And that's another thing that you're going to hear. You, people aren't going to get better until they want to. But I do understand the argument that if we throw people in a cage, that's bad. If we throw them in treatment, Maybe they'll get something out of it, something that they can build on, right? So I, I definitely think that treatment is the number one thing that should be sought of when it's a, a drug or alcohol crime. Not selling, because selling, there's a lot of people that aren't hooked on drugs that sell shit. Uh, there's a lot of people that sell alcohol that aren't sell, uh, hooked on the shit either, right? So, yeah, and and and... Justin uses a word that's used a lot too in the rooms and it's called rock bottom. Right. So, and then you're going to, you're going to hear that and you're going to also hear, well, you hit rock bottom when you stop digging. So, you know, what, what is rock bottom? Everybody's is different. Just like I started to talk about in the beginning, everybody's environment's different. Everybody's recovery is different. Everybody's program is going to be different. Even if you're working the quote unquote, same one, if you're both working the AA program, it is going to be different. And so rock bottoms when you had enough, right? And 
I just, I, I think it's unfair when something doesn't work for somebody. I think it's unfair to say that that's something they were trying to do is necessarily perfect. And they just didn't work a perfect program perfectly. There was a guy today that was on my friend, uh, Lindsay, um, live with Lindsay. You can find her on Facebook. Um, she had a guy on that actually did a TED talk and it was pretty cool. And he's talking about um, harm reduction. And I think that if you would go into, and then see the problem that I get with the people that, I, that fight with me on, on, on X that are at AA, they're not open to other things working for other people. And until they can really sit and realize that their way isn't the only way, it might be the only way for them, but it's not the only way for everybody. There are people doing the Sinclair project, which involves naltrexone, where you take the naltrexone one hour before you go out and drink, and people have weaned themselves off alcohol. And A, it says alcohol, I, I believe it's in more about alcoholism. Uh, a, or, uh, science may one day um, accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet, and that's in reference to medication that could turn a heavy drinker or an alcoholic into a moderate drinker. There's a prime example. There it is. It says Bill even opens the door to that. Uh, but anyway, this interviewer uh, talking about uh, harm reduction, talking about uh, safe use places where it's these buildings where they will come in and they will give you safe drugs with safe syringes to let, allow to you to use. Holy shit. You walk into certain peer meetings and try to say, yeah, I'm working on harm production right now. I used to use every day. Now I just go in and I use on the weekends. It's totally safe. I don't have to worry about getting... HIV from sharing needles. I don't have to worry about a dangerous drug deal. I can go in here. I can sit in a chair. I can use, I can get my fix. And then I've, I've got it down to a weekend. Boy, they're going to blow your shit right up. But when you look at using 365 days, then you look at dropping that down to 104, which would be, there's 52 weekends, two, two days in a weekend, right? So if you're going to use Saturday and Sunday, that's 104 You've cut your use in, in thirds. Is it great? No. Would I want my kid to do that if they're hooked on drugs? No. But is it improvement? Maybe in their eyes? I don't know. It's Again, that's up to the users. And there's this guy used it. This guy is now, uh, I can't remember his date. But he's, been told, he did, he's doing a TED Talk, for Christ's sake. And so... He's been involved in these type of things. So harm reduction is an option. The non-troxone thing is an option. I, I truly believe that there are other options. Practice, not perfection. It's ever evolving. Keep working. And that's the greatest fucking thing that you can tell somebody. And that's as long as you are continually moving forward, you're making progress. If you learn something from that last mistake, then you've gained wisdom and you didn't lose anything. If you had a hundred days and you, you had the world's shit day, your partner left you and you went out and you drank heavy for two nights and you got back on the saddle on Monday. And like, that was really fucking stupid. Here's why I did it. I'm better than that. And you move on and you put another hundred days together you got 200 days of fucking recovery, and I don't care who you are. If you want to say they're consecutive or not, that's that's going to be a lie. But you still have those 200 days of recovery. If you have, 
you know, and a guy like me to hear that, to, to hear something like that, to hear somebody tell me that I'm not a failure for a bad weekend, that could have made the difference early on. That could have made a huge difference early on. Huge. Let's talk about why did you do it? Okay. Well, I know that I can't go to this place anymore. Like, I know that I can't go spend the night at my grandma's anymore. It's a very dangerous place for me. She's 99 years old. She needs me. I'm the only person that she has. And I can't go there and spend the night because I can't trust myself. Yep. Any means necessary. See, now Justin's a, a, a very, and I, I, I hope to have Justin on again too uh, soon because he's, He's an AA guy, but him and I have good conversations. I think that, you know, uh, we trust each other and what we're saying. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ryan, you know, there, we do have so many other options than we do today. We, this this one book is 100 years old now, and it needs to evolve a little bit. And I think, I think it needs to evolve less than what some might say that I would say does. Uh, actually, one sixty-four and page, the first hundred sixty-four pages that haven't changed since the book was written are pretty damn good. They've just been perverted, just like a lot of things. There's a lot of things that people say that's in there, and it's not in there. And they read it one way, and it doesn't say another. Like just like, um, and this isn't in the first one sixty-four, but I got into a discussion one time with a guy that said that it uh, says nowhere in the big book does it use the word cure. I said, yes, it does. And I said, and it was one of the two first people, and it wasn't Bill. Bob was talking about Bill in Bob's nightmare, and he referred to Bill as, here's a man who is cured. He appears to be cured. That's a pretty strong word, but you won't hear that in there because you have to stay away from strong words like that. You have to stay away from positive talk like that because that's the disease talking. You ever heard such a thing? You ever heard of such a thing? Well, you only got two weeks over, so you maybe you should sit down and get a little more time under your belt before you uh before you say something. Man, I feel I feel better than I ever did. I feel so good. I feel so good. I don't think I'm going to come to a meeting this weekend. I'm going to spend some time with so-and-so. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I've, I'm so, I'm feeling, so, sounds like the disease talking to me. What a deflation of the hard work. I mean, when the first time I put two weeks in, man, I could have shat myself. I would have never believed that I would have put two weeks in. It's unreal. Something else I'm noticing right now is I'm looking over at the comments or whatever. Uh, it's way more boring doing this thing by myself. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to shut her down because I don't know how long I've been talking. My water cup's in the way. It's 9 o'clock. I got video games I need to play because I need to get my mind. Um, you know, because I, too, when I talk about this, I don't, again, I, I, people won't believe me, but I don't hate AA. I love it. I'm a student of AA. My big book is one of my big books right behind me on the bed. You know, I still look through it. Um, it's important to me, but it's also important to me that it's not the, the book and the program that did help me and that I do enjoy isn't uh, isn't misused and isn't used to make people feel bad because 
<clears throat> I know for me, I needed any fucking little hope that I could get every time that I could get, you know, and they will tell you to be careful because you can't put, you can't have expectations and that's completely different. There's a difference between me like, oh, Miley or the boys answered the phone tonight. They're not mad at me. Thank God. That's such a great thing. Can't do that. Okay. That's that's not, it can't be contingent on what somebody else does. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, God dang, I feel good. I think I'm going to get up. I think I'm going to take a shower a little earlier for work. I think I'm going to do a little reading before I go to work. Those are all great things that we need to pat ourselves on the back for and say, look, we did it. Right. So, all right. Well, hey, um, thank you. Anybody that was listening to this, it's a uh, lower hand. Can I do that with, is that what, I don't know, I guess it was thinking that I was raising my hand. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Um, he does bring his book with him when we hang out. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've brought my uh, big book with me before because I like to talk. Obviously, that's why I chose to do a podcast, but. Uh, yeah, if anybody uh, anybody has anything, uh, just go ahead and shoot me an email at thesoberheathen uh, at yahoo.com because I let the webpage go because I can't afford it. And that's okay because uh, I don't know if anybody was using it anyway. So find me on X. Find me on here. Um, I really appreciate uh, my loyal listeners. It always seems to be Justin or Ryan, and I appreciate you guys very much. So everybody have a great night, and uh, go freaking Lions. Bye-bye.